0: everybody, it's Carolyn Brown here. I'm the co-founder of Career Care Package. Nesh will be joining us very shortly, I hope. Um, He's just been caught up, but he said, let's just jump in and and get on with the show. So today it's episode 191, and we're gonna be talking about how to get over victimhood, but essentially how to turn your your life around. And delighted to have Maria Tepperman here, a success wellbeing and
1: strengths coach, I believe. Have I got that right, Maria? Marcia. 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 I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a success and well-being success coach. Yeah, Fantastic.
0: So, I'm terribly sorry to get your name wrong and all of the fluster of kind of going live and that type of thing, but Marcia, tell us about the work that you actually do um, with your clients and how you support them.
1: Okay, so um, my clients usually come to me when they are Not satisfied with their professional life Uh, they're not feeling fulfilled they the work isn't something that they're taking a lot of pleasure in Um, they might be feeling like they want to step into a leadership role and they they lack that confidence to step into a leadership role so they they don't have the clarity as to what they want to do so they want a career change or they want more clarity around uh being more efficient in their business Uh, so that they can be better leaders, because often entrepreneurs and solo entrepreneurs uh, also take a lot of the things that they're not good at doing, and they're doing everything, and what happens is that really hinders the growth of their business. So when they are at that point where they either want to do a different job, or they want to have clarity of their strengths, or where their uh, time is best invested, what might be uh, on the way of their business growing, uh, that's when they come to me and what we do is we get the clarity and the confidence so and help them step up into um, the leaders that they can be um, become um, you know really um, own their value and their contribution in the workplace and then become more impactful and be able to contribute more at a higher level yeah and welcome
0: to- <laughs> Yeah, you made it so- <laughs> so it's a it's a funny thing like a strengths based approach i was just talking to a friend today and we so rarely as individuals um get a lot of sort of positive reinforcement about the things that we're we're good at and he was talking about an exercise that they do daily in their work which is um they write up they, they do a gratitude exercise so they write up things that have gone well for them and then gather feedback from each other around the positive things that they've done. And I mean, I, I think about my times in the workplace and I think, gosh, that was missing and what a gift it is to, to constantly um, reinforce that. So do you find that people come when they absolutely need your help or are they sort of more proactively investing in, in something as well?
1: Um, usually my clients are, they are seekers of support and uh, self-help at least. So they are, you know, looking through, uh, reading books, listening to podcasts and just doing like a lot of things, uh, um, trying to, to find a way, but what they realize is that they can't really see behind their eyeballs, so, so to speak. So the blind spots and, you know, and also like a lot of people have this, um, a lot of people have, are so, they're so humble that they are unable to actually recognize the successes. And so sometimes we need a little bit of investigation to be able to point, you know, in their professional trajectory where the successes were and what they did well and what derived a lot of satisfaction in their work and so on. So having a coach to one uh, to really uh, look into those blind spots and to really uh, help them embody that confidence is really important. So that's something that a lot of people struggle and let's face it, a lot of the high performers, successful people in the world, they have coaches all the time they go from one coach one mentor to another mentor so mm. you know i i currently have a couple of mentors that i work with and i i don't i don't think i will ever not have one i might mm. not have one for a, for a period of time so that i can come back to my own self assurance to my own inner guidance but i i will then seek someone who can stretch me mm. further yeah so that's when they come to me yeah. so how did you come to be doing this work well i guess uh having lived through some turning points myself um both in re- being uh you know growing up in, in with a mom that had a mental illness uh trying to navigate you know childhood with uh, a lot of Uh, instability um, it was one way and I think that made me a very strong person because uh, early in life I understood that I had to somehow take care of myself um, and try to understand people because you know as a child you try to understand your parents when they're not giving you what what you um, you know you hoped you could get from them Mm -hmm. and so so I, I always had this curiosity about trying to understand Uh, what my mom was experiencing. It was only when I entered the the community services sector that I really gained a deep insight into what mental illness really is and how um, unequipped a parent with, you know, borderline personality disorder is to take care, like and be a um, a steady source of uh, stability for a child. So Mm. I guess that's one thing. And then I had my car accident uh many many years ago that i was left with some serious injuries and i had to really um connect to the gratitude piece of what was possible for me and how i was going to turn that situation around and that's kind of why i called my methodology "turnaround" because the turnaround method because it's really about um looking looking ahead and and making the best of what we have And then further to that, I also moved countries a couple of times. So I moved from Brazil (laughs) to Israel for twenty months, and then I came here to Australia, pregnant with a baby, like I was, you know, or three, four months pregnant when I arrived, and then had to rebuild my life again. So, and then divorce and all of that. So navigating to all through those changes um, and looking at the opportunity to make it better each time so to not not say oh my god now i am divorced and single mom with two children at the time I, my youngest was not not three yet and my oldest was eight so i could have made uh, of that situation you know um a big deal and go in the wrong direction but mm-hmm. what i had at the time was i was on welfare payments because my son was under eight so and my income was low Uh, It was I had a a very a variable income at the time as a Pilates instructor, and what I had set as a goal was that I was going to replace my welfare payment and supplement so that I could have a good life by the time my son was six. And Mm -hmm. I remember the day that I walked into Centrelink and I let them know that I no longer needed, um, you know, the support, their support, and that I was I was done with it. So it was wow. being deliberate and intentional about my next steps looking ahead and looking at the opportunities looking at the risks looking you know what is what happens if we don't take action sometimes it's a question that we don't we don't ask ourselves like we 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 look at the, the difficulties in taking action but we fail to look at what are the risks of of not taking action yeah. so i you know through all of this and then i started my uh, training in uh, my first coaching certification was in 2013 actually it was an NLP master practitioner that I did in, in 2013 then I did um, a number of other uh, certifications and I am a trauma um, trauma trained coach so I am confident working with people who have like myself had uh, you know suffered trauma not necessarily big ones like car accidents or sexual abuse or anything like that, you know, some minor traumas like sometimes as a child you are overwhelmed with the things around you and how people uh, want you to show up and behave and when you're not seen or or accepted or validated in your own feelings as a child, and Mm -hmm. that can lead to a lot of trauma that we, we are not aware and that can hinder our success. So mm. that's a part of my uh, piece that I think differentiates myself from many career coaches is that I really work with trauma, including workplace trauma, because mm. I have clients who had um, suffered a, um, you know, bullying in the workplace and and who had carried that, uh, you know, beyond that experience and make a lot of meanings about themselves, mm. um, you know, and, and really hindered that confidence. Sounds like an absolute gift. Yes, yeah, so I, I guess this is uh, the best gift I can share with people. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, it, it, it is really uh, my purpose to, to coach people. And I think, you know, looking back through my uh, trajectory of changing, uh, of finding another career, uh, finding a place where I could, um, you know, rely on a steady income. Um, it was part of my, my own journey so that I can help other people as well, because I've been always driven to be an entrepreneur. Um, I had you know, businesses in the past. I, I closed one. I, I failed one. I sold one. So you know, I had like this um, experience and exposure to business as well. But I think that the career path was part of my purpose to help people identify what their purpose is and and what is the career path that's going to give them the most amount of fulfillment. And that is also going to be a place where they can own that contribution to the place that they go to. That they don't need to come in that subordination uh, status, if you want, where, you know, you're always looking at your employer as like, of course, we should be grateful for, for having a job, but I think the workplaces should be equally grateful for having, um, you know, people that are skilled, that are, um, that have, uh, that are driven, that are contributors that can make a difference in the workplace. So that's the people that want to work with me. They want to make an impact. They, w- they have this calling for something bigger and they, you know, call to, to something bigger and they want to know what that is.
2: So, so, Marcia, welcome. I, my sincere apologies. I was running late from another, uh, you know, Zoom, Zoom meeting. Um, you know, I, I think we share one thing common that we both are migrants to Australia, but you've migrated twice, so you have changed countries for your leaving uh, two times. Tell us about the the difference that you had coming to, you know, going to Israel, living in Israel and here and in you know, a work-wise what are some of the challenges that you experienced and what would be your advice to to still the migrants who are still out there who are still you know it is still difficult for them to to find the footing uh, you know on on the ground be it economical footing or be it a social footing tell us share some of those experiences with us
1: of course. So uh, first I moved to Israel um, and when I moved to Israel, I was a personal trainer. And when I arrived, I was uh, studying Hebrew five days a week. And at the time there was there were a lot of Russian migrants. I don't know if you remember a time when Israel opened for like a lot of Russians came and um, and they were highly qualified people. But they were they were. Um, a belief that was um, predominant amongst them is that it was really hard to find employment, and it was something that I really had to shield myself from because i was I felt so positive you know I was feeling like so enthusiastic and I came with all this confidence and what happened was that I was really uh, lucky because i I've, I've been offered an interview with the military attache in the Brazilian embassy, and I was like I had experience in hospitality I had worked for family business and so I knew administration and I had you know I was a very proactive person so I wasn't afraid of the role but I was like I didn't really think I was going to make it and surprisingly because he was a a military person he thought that physical education um and had a lot to do with the the way that the military you know style of doing things is like the discipline the the hygiene the you know all of those principles were very uh, the values i guess were very similar and he hired me <laughs> and i got, just like three four months after i arrived i, I ended up becoming the the uh, executive assistant you know personal assistant to the military attaché in the embassy and i had to speak you know um, english and hebrew and lucky to my, to me i had some English because I was uh, and did research but my pronunciation wasn't great and I had Hebrew because I went to school I had I'm a Jewish uh, person and I went to a Jewish school so I I had some Hebrew but I was also studying so I landed on this really great job but you know I could have said no to that because I could have been intimidated by something completely different and I also thought not even consider that as a possibility and just say no to that but I I went with um, curiosity and just going yeah I'm just going to put my best foot forward and I got that and I ended up also uh, approaching a cardiac rehabilitation center because my background in exercise physiology meant that I had a lot of experience with that so I just knocked on that door and I brought my curriculum and I said would you have me as part of your staff? And they are like, yeah, we're looking for someone like you. So, you know, that I guess that um, putting your best foot forward and also knocking on doors, I think it's something that is really important. And I know that, you know, anyone who works uh, in the career space would would confirm that that's the case. You know, have your resume, knock on doors, and you're more likely to build rapport with someone if you show up than if you send a file on an email. So that's the first thing then the transition here to Australian wasn't as smooth uh, for me because when I arrived I was pregnant I had my my son was born when I tried my first uh, interview I went against a, a local person and um, who had a lot of experience as well so um I don't think that I uh, made the meaning that I wasn't going to get any jobs from that experience, but I decided that I had enough experience um, in the exercise field and I had the qualifications and I decided I wanted to open a Pilates studio at the time. So that's what I did. I ended up uh, skipping the employment search. But when I then wanted to change jobs, that was... um, you know interesting because i i applied for 30 jobs and i didn't get one reply <laughs> at the time and yes, those jobs were, none of those jobs were exciting to me, none of them. <laughs> so I, I don't know if it's a coincidence because I, I really believe in us being really clear and having clear expectations of what we really, really want. And I, I believe you know, in uh, the right opportunity for the right person and synchronicities as well. But um, one thing that I know it helped me was that I had experience volunteering. So I volunteered as the marketing and media officer for the Pilates Alliance of Australasia for uh, two years. And having that experience was valuable in, in for the interviews that I had, uh, for all the interviews that I had, because I could go back to, you know, the um, all the questions. Um, I could show my achievements, I could show my results, I could speak to situations, you know, all the situational questions, um, I had things to talk about that particular situation and all the particular, other situations as well, but um, volunteering was a good, it was a really good one for me. Mm. Now on that, I want to say that I have also met a lot of people from different backgrounds here in Australia from my own Brazilian community, from the uh, Latin America community. And um, and I know a lot of Brazilians who are overseas in other countries. And I know that we come to other places with that. We feel like a misfit. We feel, you know, a lot of the times we feel like we are less off than the people, the local people and and in in anyone who um, who studies um, a little bit about uh, culturally appropriate services or you know intersectionality knows that um, we only know a little bit, like you know maybe 10% of a person's reality, and even ourselves, we only probably aware of 10% of our own reality. So if we you know look into the beliefs and the values and everything and and the the experiences we had in the past, a lot of the time. Um, those those will track back to something you know a little bit below the surface in terms of our uh, more unconscious uh, programming as well so what I, I suggest is that anyone who is looking for jobs anyone who is new in Australia who's still in that journey I really encourage everyone to just open your mind open your mind to your own Negative biases as well, you know where you are seeing things that you, you know that you don't have opportunities uh, you believe you don't have opportunities where, where that's coming from from you and and then look at where could the opportunities be ask questions about how could I change this what could I do you know ask lots of questions um. Ask yourself a lot of questions to try and understand where you may be holding yourself back, and then there are services like Dress for Success for women, uh, you know, who might want some help around um, coaching and and some training around, um, you know, uh, sending applying for jobs and and interviews and and, and whatnot, and other um, services like the one you you provide, you know, who can help and and can. Remember people of their strengths or what their opportunities are and so on. Mm.
0: It's really interesting some of the things that you have spoken about there, Marcia. And I think, you know, sort of circling back to the topic of the day around being a victim or not being a victim in that in that scenario. You know, taking some responsibility and, and um you're, you know, seeing only one point of view and that type of thing. What do you call being a victim, so using a job search context, for example, what do you call being a victim versus somebody that's more proactive um, around, you know, looking for a job?
1: Okay, um, I'm going to give you a situation that it might resonate for someone. You might just like if you're brave enough to admit to yourself that might be a really good thing. Um, sometimes there is a payoff for us not finding a job. Uh, and that's one one a situation where we might be playing a victim when we, in reality, there's a there is a benefit for us not finding a job, right? That's one. Of course, this is our uh, something that um, it, it's probably less predominant than uh, other other situations. Um, the victim mentality. Uh, it doesn't start with a person. It's probably more. Uh, it, it it comes from you know back. It's like no one wakes up one day decides that they want to become a victim. Mm. A lot of the time we have a, we have the what we call the dreaded drama triangle happening in our heads. So we play parts where at times we are the victim, at times we are our own heroes, and at times we are our own persecutors. So we ha- we are our own worst judges and that critical voice can really hinder our ability to become uh, proactive and be the creators in our own life so if you have a strong inner critic you might be victimizing yourself and you know not not looking for the right support or not looking uh, to take stock of your achievements or perhaps not looking where your skills skills gap uh, is where you might need some training where you might need to be flexible in terms of what you expect to to get as the first job. Because there's always the, there is always there is always a stepping stone as well. You know, so I'll talk about uh, some of what my clients, for example, come to me with an expectation that um, after our time together, they will know exactly what career they're gonna do and exactly what job they're gonna have. And I, I tell everyone that there is no end point in our life we we only we can only live like in the present and get what we get and make the most and make the best choice for the moment and then we make our next best choice so if we if we are for example too uh, obstinate that we need to get a job in the uh, automobile industry because that's where I had the experience. Um, I spoke to a gentleman who was convinced that that's what he wanted, because he, his identity was completely um, uh, attached to his 20-some years of experience in that industry. And I asked him some questions uh, in the messages in a LinkedIn, and he had thanked me for actually helping him think outside the square, because he, was, uh, he had been looking for jobs for a very, very long time and so in in a way he was being victimized by his own decision that his that his skills were only going to be valuable in that particular industry Mm. right or if you have a, a decision that you need to get that job that the job you want is that job and you can't look outside and you can't see any other opportunities then you might be victimizing yourself, open your mind, see what else is possible, where is that internal voice in your head, you know, bringing you to the situation where you are playing those roles, you know, you've got a voice that is telling you that you're not good enough for something, another voice that tells you you are, you know, um, victimized by by the circumstances where sometimes it's, it's looking at what I call the, um, the triangle, the cre- tri- tri- sorry, the, the triangle of creation, it's mm-hmm. the opposite of the dreaded drama triangle, which is um, when you have a challenge, you are a creator and you either have a coach or you are your own coach and you coach yourself through the challenges. Mm. So you don't buy into any of the other three positions. Mm. You're always looking for, how do I I solve this problem?
0: Mm. I love that. I love that kind of analogy. Well, I think, you know, what you've touched upon, like, there's a payoff somewhere. I mean, we all slip into victimhood in various ways and just reflecting on my own behaviour or thought patterns when you're talking, but there is always some sort of payoff and whether that's staying, You know right that the rest of the world is not going to give you a job or staying in security that you actually um you know somebody else will look after you in some sort of way or um you know all of those sorts of things um pay off very powerfully i think Mm
1: -hmm. yeah i experienced that in my own life when i arrived to australia and i had my son was probably just about 13, 10 months or twelve months, and I was starting to think about work again. And um, you know, the payoff could be to just stay, be a stay home mom and enjoy taking my son to the park and and being supported by, by my husband. And I had to be really like I was. I was uh, as a Pilates teacher. I wanted to teach groups, and I I was a bit. A bit um, scared of standing in front of big group and speaking English. So the first thing I did was started to observe classes in English so that I could learn the uh, the vocabulary that I needed to be a, a Pilates teacher. Mm-hmm. And even then, I was like, Oh my God, I'm so scared of standing in front of people and and doing that. But you know, but I also looked at so what is also the, the payoff if I decide that I'm too afraid to take this step. What do I what, actually what is the benefit of that? If I decide that the, the fear uh, is too big for me to overcome it and you know we can go like you know you' all probably know the book uh, Feel the Fear and do it anyway. Uh, it's a great book I can't remember now the act the author of this book. But um, it's it's a true thing, and in this book, actually, I highly recommend that anyone who is, uh, you know, experiencing a lot of fear, particularly around employment and and you know, speaking English. And one thing I know um, about Australians is that they most of them only speak one language, <laughs> and uh, you know, um, they're really um, admire people who even. Attempt to speak to more than one language and also when you are an expert in your own field depending on what you're doing What matters is that you do your job well that you know how to do your job So don't let the English be something that stops you from taking your first steps. That's one thing I would just to, to wrap up that situation I had I overcame my fear I remember the first class I did I was doing some toe raises so just going like you know warming up the calf the ankles and I remember still shaking 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 like I, sh- I, sh- I was shaking so much in front of the class I had about 25 people I was covering for another teacher and you know after that it's all history I had my own st- studio for five and a half years I, you know, I'm a senior Pilates teacher. Now I don't even do that anymore. It's like all in the past, I'm moving towards other bigger things. So just keep moving, you know, take Mm -hmm. the first step, then figure out what the next step, and then the next step, Mm -hmm. you know, that's my recommendation.
2: I think uh, someone said that nicely, when you are climbing a mountain, don't look look at the, you know continuously look at what is left for you what is left for you just take one step at a time you know and this is also true in terms of sports as well a lot of lot of cricketers that i can relate to the analogies they went in bed for a longer period of time they're not thinking what am i going to do next hour they're just thinking the next ball i'll just focus on the next ball once that is done then I'll focus on the next one. I'm not worried about that. So that's a that's a really profound, it's a simple way, but very profound way to look at things because you know, a is that once you start to start to look at how much climb do you have to do it, it may cause a sense of anxiety. Oh God, I've not even climbed anything. I've, I've been doing it for God knows how many years and I've still got in you know, a huge amount to climb. So I think, I think that, Gap, sometimes it energizes people or sometimes it also has that effect of, oh God, I've not done anything, isn't it? So one of the things that I, you know, when I came on, we were you know, talking with, with Caroline about the gratitude aspect of that and how much time do we focus on what we are not, what we don't have but not focus on what we have. And that goes into pretty, you know, in this COVID times we have observed a uh, you know, lot of a lot of the job seekers, people have lost jobs, that that's where that some of them were thinking around, I don't have this and I can't apply for it. I don't have this, so I can't do that. But in that space, they're not thinking or they you know the the thing is crowded with I don't have this, but not thinking what I have in thinking from resourceful perspective rather than that absence of resource perspective. Tell us a little bit more around, around that thinking because strength-based approach, you know, I I, I did uh, my strength-based, um, strength finder assessment when I changed my career in 2009 and that was one of the most important, you know, $85 that I spent, spent on the most economical but it helped me significantly i still use that to my advantage this time test. tell us about that that approach that you you know and how can you instill that approach in your, in your career in your day-to-day life
1: well gratitude is a huge one right because um something that uh when we are not in gratitude we are often in scarcity and so gratitude helps us tap into an abundant mindset as well. So being able to appreciate even the smallest things in life help us lift our own internal state to what I call above the line, right? So when we are not in gratitude, we are below the line. And below the line, we are usually moody, we are negative, we are sad, we are angry, we are frustrated, you know, and above the line is we are positive, we are hopeful, we are you know, so gratitude and even for the smallest things like even for having a roof over your head, even for being able to tap into welfare payment, even for having a job that is a an interim job, uh, you know, all of those things really help you raise your I guess vibration, and for those who don't don't think, you know, that that's something that is real, well, I I experienced that. It's one of the ways that I maintained myself above the line was by looking at everything that was working and everything I had in my life at the time when I was, uh, you know, receiving welfare payments. For example, I was grateful for the clients I did have. I was grateful for um, the you know the welfare payment. I was grateful that I was able to get a rent as a single mom. I was grateful for so many things. So that's one piece, you know. It just helps you. It it helps your brain because I think it's like, you know, like when they say that for every five negative things, sorry, for every one negative thing that someone says to a child, for example, we need to say five positive things. So my understanding is that the negative bias in the brain is so predominant that we really need to find five. Things, for every one thing, <laughs> for us to kind of shift our attention to a more positive, um, positive state. That's the gratitude piece. Now, the, the strength piece, that how I utilize that, even before I was a strength coach, it was by, okay, so if the thought is like, I don't have the skills or I am not going to be, I'm not going to make it, I can't get a job because I don't have this or that, and that is like looking at what do I have? Where did I actually have uh, small wins in my life? What did I do well in my life? No matter uh, if it was professionally or personally, or you know, where was I um, resourceful? Even just thinking about being resourceful, where were you resourceful? And you know, a lot of people who actually are able to to move uh, away from uh situation in countries where the economy or the uh, the politics or um you know the, the situation is like you know iran or Syria or you know all the refugees that come across i mean these people have been extremely resourceful as well you know so like everyone who left a a country behind and moved to another place had been resourceful already in some ways right and had had that that perhaps to to say this country offers me better chances than my own home country so make a list of all the things that you have been resourceful in your life and look at them even without the strengths approach even without the report the the report we go into a lot more details um and what i can tell you as well is that i have found that with the strengths um, um the signature strengths often we have one or two strengths that are our, uh, where our um, blind spots are, where we are almost like ob- too obstinate about those strengths that we are, you know, those behaviors are become a hindrance. Sometimes those have to do with childhood decisions of who we had to be to belong in our family. And that's something that I actually help people um, overcome if you want to, to, to become aware so that it doesn't become a hindrance. So they can invest in other talents that are more supportive. So I guess you can start with, how have I been resourceful? Where were my wins in life? What have I done? Well, and that's a really good starting point. A really good starting point.
0: Fantastic. So I've got a question. Did you want to take it? Um, I,
2: no, you can go ahead.
0: Okay. So, okay. And Kit says, Thank you, Martha, uh, for sharing words of wisdom uh, on avoiding thoughts of becoming a victim and introspecting by being open-minded and asking what I could do and how can I change things. Where can, where am I holding back? My question is how do you, how to tackle confusions when you're asking questions to yourself? How to have clarity? Oh. Um, to do I feel I've done analysis a few times, and uh, after a while, things don't work the way I want. I start thinking. Am I, I think, doing the analysis wrong? So how to, how to ask those good questions of yourself? And
1: I think confusion. Confusion often has to do with us learning early in life not to trust ourselves. Um, that's my experience. That's my personal experience. I'm still doing work, internal work, to overcome confusion, uh, overcome those moments where I don't trust myself and my inner guidance. Um, um, the Confidence and the clarity comes from you knowing who you are and what you want and what you need to leave behind, and that's sometimes work you need to do with someone else uh, to support you. So I hope that answers your question because I, for example, this is something that uh, you know I have a therapist uh, I, that and I have a coach. I have two different people helping me, and sometimes in my life I I come to situations where I'm confused and. I almost always can guarantee that I have to go back to a time in my life where something happened that I need to go and visit, revisit that that part of me. And so I, I'm talking about inner child work sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the work that I do with clients as well to learn, helping them, um, teaching them how to attend to those parts of them. Because we have parts of us, younger parts of us that are protectors and sometimes they you know your confusion can be part of you inside of your of your psyche just kind of pulling you in different directions and you need to understand what those parts are doing who they are protecting and uh, what is the purpose because there's always a, a positive intention behind that even procrastination has a positive intention so there's positive intention in almost all the behaviours, that's the premise of our neuro-linguistic pro- programming, that all of our behaviours have a positive intention. So if we understand what that positive intent, sorry, in, our positive intent is, we can usually understand what the source of confusion is. So I hope that helps.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think also yeah, we don't really need to reach out and get help if you need it
2: from various people. So,
1: um, and, you, from I, <laughs> and from oh. me, and from me, if I could help, you know, keep, be honoured uh,
2: to help. Uh, yeah, I think confusion is not bad. I think confusion just says that you are really engaged in the conversation. You are really, you are really thoughtful about it. So I, I don't think the confusion is bad at all. I'll give you a very 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 recent example we are working on a on a funding proposal uh, right now at my work. and two days back I was absolutely confused about how that is going to what we are going to what would be our point of difference what would be our narrative and everything else and what we had to do as a team is to take one step so let's just tackle one question and that opened up the, the door and said, okay, let's go to the next question. And I think in two three hours of uh, you know our team meeting, today, we covered so much ground on that one that now we've got we've got a, a real clarity of what do we need to present in order to to be successful in receiving those funds. So I think I think confusion is is not wrong, but if you if confusion uh, you know if, if you stay there for a longer period of time then it becomes really really difficult to to really uh you know kind of comprehend the situation so i suggest my suggestion is that confusion is like a like a obviously you're driving into mist you have to slow down right you can't see you can't see for the 100 meter if you can say, see 10 meter just continue just go for 10 meters you'll see another 10 meters and i think we have a we we all the time we, we seek so much clarity, we want clarity and we are not really comfortable with that those moments that we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. And we feel very uncomfortable because that's what we've been told over a period of time that or even the self-help also continues to say, You've got to have the clarity, you've got to have this, you've got to have this, you need to have this. I think that re also really, you know, bogs down people because then you are then then also a lot of Going to invalidation of God. I, I'm, I'm always like this. I always get confused, and then just you know, then you're re, uh, you know, you know, rethinking the same thing over mm. and over. Hopefully that helps. Take one tiny, tiny, tiny bit step.
1: I agree with you. I think that clarity isn't like one final product. Clarity is a series of iterations of clarity, small things. But if the confusion is extreme. If the confusion is so debilitating, it could be sometimes because you have had very high expectations of yourself or because you are worried about the expectations of other people. So when it's and, and if, like if it's a decision around your career, like we said, just take the next logical step. Take a step that feels good. I always, uh, there's two rules for me, OK, around decision making, like two rules. That's my two rules when I'm, even when I'm confused does it feel good that's the number 1 does it feel good if it feels terrible if it feels scary you know it just it, don't do it it has to feel good that's the number 1 yeah the second one is like am i am i afraid because i am way outside my comfort zone way outside my comfort zone because there is always A bit of a mix of fear and excitement in situations that stretch us but there is a situation where the where the the stretch is so big that it's beyond and so that like when I navigate through those you know decision-making with those two things and I look at what happens if I take those steps and if I don't take those steps it usually becomes clear more clear so you know don't expect to have like I love the analogy of the fog yeah because it doesn't get crystal clear but as you get to know yourself you get to understand why you would make decisions the way you do because you're driven by your values you're driven by your talents you're driven by your strengths you're driven by um what matters to you mm. makes absolute
2: sense Excellent, uh, Marcia. That's pretty much it. That's the time that we have. You know, it's been absolutely uh, you know fascinating to catch up with you and you know, and also to uh, to bring you to our listeners as well. So if anybody wants help, we'll put Marcia's uh, you know detail on the, the live chat. But you can Google the name Marcia Taperman and you will reach uh, to Marcia, and you can please reach out to her because she's absolutely fantastic at uh, what she does. So Marcia, once again thank you very much for being part of our
1: show thank you so much for having me it was a pleasure thank you
0: thanks here. it's been absolutely fantastic
1: so um if you're watching this on youtube please
0: subscribe and hit the bell notification even give us a thumbs up if you're watching this on linkedin please follow the hashtag career care package and nash what's happening tomorrow
2: so tomorrow is our 192nd episode and we are talking to an author, Cassandra Goodman, and she has written a book, if I can pronounce, I still have difficulty in pronouncing Fidelity, so I'll try that again. So the book is Self-Fidelity of Fidelity, my apologies for that, uh, but it's a fantastic book on self-care and self-focus. It's a book uh, that is receiving great reviews. And we are going to talk with Cassandra tomorrow, 3 p.m. And uh, tomorrow would be our second last episode before we do a LinkedIn live marathon on a Friday where 32 Avengers plus two directors will be there. And looking, um, you know, we are really looking forward to that show. Um, so please join us tomorrow, three p.m. Until we see you tomorrow. Please stay safe, look after yourself and your loved ones, and uh, bye for now, everyone. Bye
0: everyone.
2: Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Your Career Down Under show. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to know more about how Your Career Down Under can help you please reach out to us on www.yourcareerdownunder.com.au and if you have got a question about today's episode or if you want us to do a particular show on a particular topic, please reach out to us. We would love to do that. Until next time, be well.